Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, today is a podcast of firsts. Now, it's obviously not the first episode of the Deep Dive. We're actually on episode 59, which is kind of incredible. We've been doing this for wow. so long now. Uh, but this is this is an episode of, of many other firsts. All right. It's it was the first ever game for the Coachella Coachella ugh, Valley Firebirds. Can't speak this more this morning. It's very early, I guess. Uh, so first game for the Firebirds. That was really awesome. That was yesterday. They got another one coming up today. And then it was also, you know, the first games of the Kraken's second season. First games where they could score like multiple power plays and the power play looks dangerous. Uh, first game for Shane Wright in there. That's another first. And uh, a first for this podcast. Like I said, it wasn't the first episode, but this is our first episode brought to you all by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Yes. Uh, thank you, Queen Anne Beer Hall, our sponsor. I'm happy to have them on board, part of the ECH community. Um, we talked about them on a few post-game lives already. Um, but yeah, they really stepped up and and you know are helping us be able to do what we do. Um, and I want to mention, too, we'll get into the three games uh, in a little bit. But for that first game, uh, we had our first kind of you know little watch party at Queen Anne Beer Hall. Really fun time. I mean, thanks to everyone who showed up and and made it such an awesome night. Uh, but it's a great place to watch a hockey game. I mean, if you're ever considering going somewhere, you're around the arena for a game, stop by Queen Anne Beer Hall. And it's it's not just you know the hockey, the atmosphere. By the way, they always put the game on the TV. I know other bars, maybe sometimes you know they 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 won't put the hockey game on. You never have to worry about that at Queen Anne Beer Hall. And uh, right now they also have a really cool Oktoberfest menu because I went there early for dinner before this because I wanted to try some of the food uh, and to be able to let you know about it. Absolutely recommend the Oktoberfest menu while they have it. I got the schnitzel, really, really good. Uh, they also have like a sausage platter, you know, Weisswurst, Bratwurst, you know, all this great stuff. I mean, something I'm sure Philip Grubauer would love, you know, it makes him feel like home. Um, but yeah, definitely go check that out. And um, and yeah, go Queen Anne Beer Hall. Thank you uh, to them for sponsoring this episode uh, of the podcast. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and transition now into, into breaking down some of those firsts that we talked about. Um, I guess let's start with the three games and we'll kind of go through the the summary of those three games, kind of what our main takeaways were for each game. And then we can talk about like the larger takeaways for the Kraken season so far and talk about some of the storylines that developed because boy, were there a couple (laughs) that that really (laughs) popped up. So opening night against the Ducks in Anaheim. Um, This was a game that... You know, there was there were so many positives, so many positives. Power play goes three for five. You get Shane Wright in there for the very first time. The new additions all show up as you get a goal from Burakovsky, goal from Bjorkstrand. You get the first point as a Kraken from Justin Schultz. A couple of them, actually, even. And this, you know, lots of lots of good stuff. Matty Beniers gets his first goal of the season day one. So, you don't you know, we don't have to worry about that. It's his first multi-point game uh, ever, I believe. Um so that you know, lots and lots of positive stuff. However, I think the main takeaway we all have was just kind of the bitter taste in our mouths of the Kraken kind of constantly building up leads only to then give it away, ultimately ending in the Ducks taking it in overtime. I guess we can, you know, say there was market improvement in the sense that the Kraken were at least able to get a point out of it. That's, you know, something they weren't mm-hmm. able to really do last season. But it was just this story of, you know, we get a, you know, we, well, one, I guess it started with allowing the first goal less than a minute into the game. That wasn't great. Um, but then it's, you know, build up a three, one lead, kind of let that, you know, turn into a three, two lead, but then you get a four, two lead. And then you just kind of watch that evaporate too, until the game's tied and overtime's forced. I don't know. I, I still don't entirely know what the main takeaway should be from this game. Like I said, there's all those positives and I, the team looked so much better than they did really at any point last season throughout the course of this game. But at the same time, Grubauer had some rough spots there, didn't you know come up with a save when he needed to. The team didn't really understand how to play with the lead at all. I don't know. what. How should Kraken fans be feeling after that one? 
I think you really have to split it up into kind of two takeaways because it really was a, a tale of almost two halves of the game. And each one of them told us something different. And I think both of those still ring true. That the first kind of half of the game where they looked really good and they built up that lead, uh, I think certainly by the eye test, you can tell this is a different team than it was last year. There is more skill and that is apparent. And, and it's not even close. Um, and, and it gives them the opportunity to to play really fast and to just outplay certain teams like the Ducks in the way that they did. I mean, the Kraken set a franchise record for most shots on goal in this game. Yeah. And it wasn't just throwing every puck to the net. It was getting legitimately good scoring chances. Um, so I think that tells you that this team has more skill. They have more potential. They have more ability than they did last year. And that that is just something that's true. Um I think the second half of the game tells you that there's still a lot to work on and there's still a lot of problems, you know, potentially there. And I think, um, you know, some of that is translating that skill from being on paper to executing in games and executing in the right moments. Um, you know, we we can we can talk, call it different things. We can talk about coaching maybe later on in this. Uh, but that's something that that they still need to work on and that still needs improvement. I think both of those things can be true at the same time. And as we get into these later two games, I, I think both of those things uh, really expose themselves to uh, um, in the next couple games. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, a large part of that game was also John Gibson for the Ducks just looking fantastic. He, he kept his team in it all, all throughout. The Kraken did everything they could. You know, anytime you get, you're getting over 40 shots or whatever, right? Like that's, you're doing everything right at that point. You're doing everything you possibly can. If the opposing goalie is just going to step up and have a night the way John Gibson did and keep his team in it and, and try to, you know, do everything in their power to give his team life, you just kind of have to at some point, you know, acknowledge that, hey, that sometimes happens in this league. And there's nothing you can kind of do against it. <laughs> you know right. what I That's mean? one of the characteristics of, of hockey. And it's something that uh, Chris Drieger brought up when we were talking to him a couple weeks ago, you know, about his charity and everything and, and why he wanted to be a goalie and, and what the appeal of the position is, is that just some nights, if you are really on your game, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. You can just steal a game. Uh, and that's just something about hockey, something about goaltending. And unfortunately, the Kraken had it happen to them uh, in, in their opening game. Yes. So that was that was opening night, you know, disappointed you don't get the two points for the win after the game that you played most of the way. But, you know, again, consolation is you do get that third point out of it. Again, that's something this team was not very good at doing last year when they struggled, particularly if they were going to struggle in the second half of a game, uh, just getting into overtime, just getting a point. Again, big improvement for them. And then you go the next night into Los Angeles, into the great Crypto.com arena, and you get to go <laughs> go play a Kings team that, you know, some new additions to them, uh, big shuffling of their lines and stuff, and they're, they're still trying to figure things out, and you're able to take advantage of that with a really stellar performance from Martin Jones, and then just, again, a cohesive team that really had a plan for this game. I don't know that there was so much a plan for that game against the Ducks. It was more so just like, hey, let's go out there and let's play hockey and let's rely on our depth over over theirs because they're not a very deep team right now. The game plan against the Kings was very clearly, we're going to outmuscle them. or I mean, we'll try to outmuscle them. We're going to be physical. We're going to hit a bunch. We're going to finish our checks. We're going to make sure that if they're going to take any bit of ice against us, it's going to come at a cost. And the plan worked perfectly it did and the kings were kind of unprepared for it it looked like um I, I think they maybe expected more of what we saw from the crack in the, you know the previous night in anaheim uh where they tried to play kind of more of a speed game and and you know outskill the other team and um i think it was a big bounce back game and in, in that also they learned from their mistakes too um you know the, the kraken went into the third period with a 3-1 lead with that two goal lead uh and they kept their foot on the gas and they did not let the kings back into the game at all yeah. um they learned pretty much directly from their lessons in, in the previous game and it, it seemed like um you know as far as the preparation as far as the coaching as as far as the players stepping up when they needed to and doing all the right things it felt like okay this team has really turned a corner here um and they can kind of finally use that that skill advantage uh, and be disciplined and win these types of games by showing up prepared uh and, and 
and basically by uh, by learning from their mistakes. Yeah. Um, so it, it gave a nice sense of optimism after this one. Yeah, and this was also just a game that, you know, it was good to see that the Kraken can do this. They can play like this. They can play physical. Uh, they can outmatch a team that traditionally is known for playing physical themselves. You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can take that to them. Uh, this was a game that was, you know, there was there was a fight. There was lots of post whistle skirmishes, a post game skirmish. There, Jonathan <laughs> Quick having to be held back and everything. Um, it was one of those testy affairs. You got a grand total of eleven power play opportunities split between these two teams. You know what I mean? So it was it was nice to see that the Kraken could play a game like that that they could not only play a game like that, but actually kind of dominate a game like that as they, as they win 4-1, right? Um, that's, again, something I feel like wasn't really in their repertoire last season. There, there was no way and last I think it, season they could yeah. have done this. And I, I think it kind of flipped the script from a lot of games last season where we, we saw the Kraken get kind of frustrated at times. It just by, by being out muscled by having to deal with with physical play on the other side uh and in this case they frustrated the kings and they made life hard on all of their players i i think back to this play that i think kind of defined that element for me where um adrian kempe of the kings you know enters gets the blue line but then just dumps the puck in he was never trying to make a hockey play he just wants to chip this puck in and go get a change and will borgen lays him flat out on his back, just gives him a shove right as he dumps the puck in. I mean, you get nothing, you know, without having to you get down on the ice. I mean, um, and I thought Borgen had a great game in this one. I think, you know, his name deserves to be mentioned. He was in a, in a few of those little scrums there, too, uh, in those skirmishes. But uh, that was kind of all game for the Kraken, where they didn't give the Kings an inch. Every time they wanted to get any kind of position on the ice, um, they had to take some contact for it. Yeah, exactly. And then... You know, you you finish it all off with an Adam Larson shorthanded empty net goal, <laughs> which is, as we all know, the best way to end a hockey game. So we're at this point, right, two games into the season, two days into the season for the Kraken, they've uh, accumulated three out of four possible points all in division on the road to kick off the season, like I said. I'm feeling like this team is completely different than last year the new additions they all look really solid you got another power play goal in this one maddie Beniers picks up another point he's arrived he's just going to be a point per game guy right like everybody we are all riding the high of what this is i know a lot of people in that game focused on the shane Wright being a scratch don't worry we're definitely getting to that once we're done with these uh, kind of summaries but i was just like you know what this team has really turned things around and all of the stuff we kind of talked about last week of, hey, what would it take to maybe make the playoffs? Like, are, is there playoff upside here? I kind of could see if these things all go right, this being a playoff team. Well, everything was looking like it was going right through those first two games. And then you get back to Seattle. You go into Climate Pledge Arena to kick things off there, your home opener. You get the new um, pregame show and everything which is uploaded to our YouTube channel. Everybody can go check that out if you weren't able to see it. Uh, thankfully, ESPN Plus had it for all of us not in the area. We were all able to see it. That was, like, mind-blowing and incredible. But you go into this game against Vegas. It's a team that, you know, you struggled with last year. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, fan bases that don't really like each other very much right now. Both the new kids on the block, both kind of fighting for the attention of that, right? And... Um, there's no like good way of putting it, but the Kraken just dropped the ball on this game hard. It was terrible. And it looked like, you know, unfortunately all too many Kraken games from last season. It really did. A hundred percent. I dropped the ball is a good way to describe. It. I mean, they just did, didn't show up is another way, yeah. uh, you know, that, that I've thought of it. They, they just did not show up to play. I mean, um, when you allow a goal in the first 12 seconds on, on a play where I get, I've tried analyzing this so many times. I'm like, okay, first TV timeout, I'll go back and take a look and see what happened. I, I first intermission, I went back, took another look. I had nothing. There were so nothing. many different things going wrong um, that I, I couldn't pinpoint anything. Yeah, no, there is nothing that 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 was absolutely atrocious just from, you know, how they play in the neutral zone for the like three seconds that the puck is actually there to the, you know, 
uh, I guess they were trying to continue what they were doing in the Kings game where it's, hey, let's try to be physical and let's try to physically dominate them and finish checks. But instead you have just a bunch of guys clump up. They're all trying to finish checks on guys. It's pulling them way out of position. And then you get Keegan Colasar coming in and Carson Soucy, this is the this is the one that's the hardest thing for me to understand. And it's literally impossible for me to understand. The other stuff I can understand, they were all trying to be physical, set a tone early, finish checks, it pulls them out of position. All right, I at least like there's there's a rationale for that. Why Carson Soucy continues to just drift backwards as Keegan Colasar gets the puck, enters the slot, and just walks in on a poor Martin Jones, who is completely helpless in this situation. I don't understand. All Carson Soucy had to do was put his foot in the ground, put his skate in the ice, however you want to call it, and step up. You, he's got a long reach. He's got a long stick. Use your stick. Try to disrupt King and Colasar there. Try to po- poke the puck away. Get physical with him. Again, at this point, you might as well get physical with him. He's walking right in on your goaltender at point-blank range. This is the time to just go for the big hit and try to finish your check if there ever was one. Instead, he just literally drifts past and lets... Kolasar have just a wide open look at the net. I, I just don't get it. I, I literally can't think of any reason for him to do that. I, I can't either. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've tried to figure this out. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just baffling. And so that's, that's the first goal. And then they give up another goal on a, you know, on a similarly bad looking yep. play, you know, three minutes later, basically. And, now you're you're down to nothing and and you're down to nothing very early but as anyone who's watched some NHL hockey knows that doesn't mean the game is over that that is yeah. that is a deficit that you can overcome what's the most dangerous and lead in hockey 2-0 two, two, goals. two yeah. goal lead two yeah. goal lead it's and especially early in a game when there's plenty of time um so they settle things down a little bit toward the middle of the period at the end of the period, they they kind of loosened up again and, and gave a few more good chances. But they get to the first intermission, and this is what's worrying to me because I, you know, bad starts happen for every team. It happened for the Kraken more than most last season, so that's that's a little worrying. But what's most worrying for me is have that first intermission to kind of settle down, reset to to learn from their mistakes and and maybe implement some changes. And they come out for the second period, and it is. One of the worst, if not the worst, period of Kraken hockey that they've ever played. Yeah. It is that bad. Odd man rush after odd man rush after odd man rush. Breakaway after breakaway. um, And just feeding the Golden Knights transition. All three Kraken forwards. You know, it's one thing, you know, we're trying to be aggressive. We're we're down in the game, jumping up, getting a little aggressive. But you'd think after the fourth, after the fifth, away against odd band rush you would make some kind of adjustment that the forwards would realize okay this is not working for us uh we can't continue to trade chances with them like that not even trade chances because you're not getting chances yourself mm-hmm. um it 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 was just awful just an awful period of hockey um i i think the kraken were lucky that vegas only scored three in that period yeah. um i that, that's that's all i have to say about it dylan i mean help me out here yeah it was just Hey Vegas, you wanna you wanna beat us in transition? Here, let's make it as easy as possible. Let's send three forwards in deep so that we have you know the center's not hanging back at all to maybe help out the defense. Oh, by the way, let's also at times just have one of our defensemen pinch up as well. Like that sounds like a good idea. Let's not have the defenseman kind of play towards center of the ice at all either. Let's make sure they're as close to the boards as possible just to make a nice open runway for Vegas there. Um, And then on top of it, anytime the puck was in the neutral zone, they had no idea what to do with it. And this goes back. This is a problem that goes back to last year. Zone entries. Why, Why are we still talking about this? I thought that was something that they had finally fixed, but they had no clear way of entering the Vegas zone. They were turning the puck over in the neutral zone. Again, the the defensemen were making bad passes in the neutral zone to try to lead to zone entries, but they were doing it all along the boards, and then they're out of position for once the turnover happens. It was just, yeah, it was just kind of mind-numbing at some point. Like, it, it, you just were like, okay, yeah, this is inevitable. It's just what's happening. I can't, I'm not even going to try to keep up with it and try to figure out what's going on or, or even, I, I, you know, I'm going to stop talking about what they need to do to fix it because it's not helping. Like I'm not speaking it into existence. I'm literally just wasting breath. Um, and then, you know, you take penalties because you're taking 
you know, you're having to come back and try to grab guys from behind because they're off on all these breakaways, or you're just getting frustrated by what the situation is. And instead of using that frustration, channeling it, uh, like, you know, top athletes are able to do, this team just kind of let it get the best of them. And they just kept spiraling downwards. And at no point did anybody really kind of do anything that was going to put a stop to that. They just had to wait out the period. Um, now, kind of, you know, uh, again, something we didn't see too much last season is after they would have had two periods like this, where you see a couple early goals, you look terrible there, you look terrible all through the second period, you're just handing them the puck on a silver platter, all that stuff. Seattle does get their act together for the third period, and they do kind of mount a comeback. I mean, obviously the game finishes 5-2, to two, so it wasn't like a great comeback attempt or anything, but they looked really strong in the third period. They were able to get a couple goals, and to be honest, I think some of that momentum would have kept going. They might have been able to get another one or two if Yanni Gord doesn't take a pretty brutal penalty with about three minutes left in that game, just kind of killing all the momentum they were they were trying to build there just to finish out this game and, and try to you know build something positive moving forward um so that was that was at least nice to say to see they didn't have any give up in them for that third period they did come out they made adjustments now it's also fair to wonder how much of that is vegas just kind of sitting back because they've only got to kill 20 minutes a clock with a five nothing lead i think that's you know that is that does deserve to be mentioned but you get you know justin schultz who i was saying on twitter i think he's kind of the team MVP so far this season. He gets his first goal as a Kraken. Jaden Schwartz is able to pick up his second of the season on the power play, keep the power play goal streak alive to, to start the season. Those are positive developments um, because last year when we saw the Kraken play these kinds of really brutal games, they didn't have any of any moments of that. And at least in this one, there was some moments where, hey, we can still put you know points on the board, and that's something. I think there is something to be said for that. Um, getting getting things right, even if it is too little, too late. Um, but but still, uh, the ultimate takeaway has to just be you know, the, the game was lost at that point, and 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 going back and correcting and just making sure that that you start better and and it doesn't get to that point where even that you know a two goal effort, a plus two effort in the third period, you know, isn't enough. Yeah, no, but again, this is something that like the final script for that won't be known until tonight, right? Against Carolina, because that's one of those things of you're just trying to build something positive for the next game. That was just something that was missing last year. And that's something that was, you know, something we talked about a lot last year, the fact that that was missing, that there was games that when they were down, they just, you never felt like they had any chance of ever getting back into it. And that was one of the things that frustrated so many people. So it's one of those I'm, I'm trying because it's so early in the season to find the bright spots to look at and, and try to highlight for everybody, because the bottom line is the Kraken, they do still have three points in the standings. They're still technically in the playoff spot. They've literally only lost one game in regulation. It hasn't even been a full calendar week since the season started. So I, I'm just trying not to have everybody's, you know, spiral down too much. But yes, this game was really, really difficult uh, in a lot of ways. They did out hit Vegas, though. That plan worked. Congratulations. 35% of the face-off dot, though. That's brutal. And, and that, that's another something to talk about. <laughs> I was going to say, worth noting, Kraken have not been above 50% yet this season. It's been an issue. Definite. Yeah, if I say it's been an issue. Definite, definite issue. And that's with RJ, 18-year-old Shane Wright trying to play his first ever NHL action, only having played like six and a half minutes so far. Right? Because you could no, argue, well, well, maybe maybe that's what's going on with some of these face-offs is you got a young centerman in there. They're not definitely not known for being able to win draws in this league. None of them have been uh, outside of Morgan Geeky for whatever reason. And so, you know, maybe that's maybe that's what's explaining it. But no, we had Shane Wright scratched for the Kings game and then scratched again for the Vegas game. And that surprised a lot of people. I think also some people maybe weren't totally surprised after he only played the six minutes and some change in that first Ducks game. But, I mean, what are we feeling about the Shane Wright thing? Because I was trying to defend it on Twitter during that Kings game. 
and the idea of, look, I'm assuming that this was a plan. I think the game plan against the Kings was very much to be physical and do all the stuff we talked about earlier. And, you know, are you going to have an 18-year-old playing in his second ever game after he just played in his first game the night before and you're trying to execute this very specific game plan? Like, does it make sense to have him do that? And it didn't, right? And and Haxall kind of alluded to that after the game. Like, look, we wanted Morgan Geeky in there for this game. We kind of had this plan. That's what we what we did. So that all made sense to me. I thought, though, he would come back for that game against Vegas. And I again, I tried to defend it on Discord earlier in the day. Like, look, it's Vegas. It's a tough team. Maybe you don't want him kind of thrown to the wolves against them, so to speak. But, you know, after watching how the rest of the team played, like, forget it. He might as well have been in there. You might as well have given him 20 minutes. Just, you know, get as, get as much experience as possible. Exactly. It would have been the perfect game for Shane Wright to get into, knowing with hindsight how it turned out. And I'm with you on the strategy for the Kings game. It, it all made sense, certainly, after seeing how that game went, uh, that Shane Wright was in the lineup. You want a bigger Morgan Geeky for that game. Uh, but and he's healthy scratch now for two games in a row. It does raise the question, what is the plan with Shane Wright? And it's something that Dave Haxtell, of course, was asked about. I mean, how could he not have been? Uh and he basically he said there is a plan. You know, he, he alluded to there there's a plan. We have a plan to get him in some real positive games. And I think he kind of he pointed at like positive games, positive starts, uh, you know, getting into good positions basically. And he said we have a plan too, kind of hinting that it's not just him, it's an organizational plan. You know, I would have to imagine Ron Francis is involved in that as well. And I guess maybe they viewed those two games as not the right moments to get him into not the right spots they want to put him in. I think there's still some kind of protecting they want to do. Um, but still, we, we've yet to see exactly what the plan is. Uh, and of course, they're not going to just flat out tell us. So it's something we kind of have to find out on our own. But Dylan, I mean, what do you think the plan is? What like, do you think it's a good idea, you know, to have this plan? I, yeah. What do you think about this whole thing? It's it's really, really tough. And because Shane Wright, you know, I talked about it all through the pre-draft process. I felt like Shane Wright was the most NHL ready of any of the prospects, any of those top of the board prospects. So he was NHL ready. Did it make sense to have him on our team when we have kind of depth? It's not like, you know, there's it's not superstar level depth, but there was depth still left over from the expansion draft process. How was he going to fit in? I said it draft night, like five minutes after they drafted him. Look, if he's going to be your fourth line center, don't keep him around, right? It's not going to be what's best for his development. He needs minutes. It would be better to send him back to Kingston. However, after seeing him at dev camp, after seeing him through the preseason training camp, all of that stuff, I don't know that going back to a Kingston team that right now is winning games, but they're also in the bottom third in the OHL and scoring, and he's not going to really be playing with NHL level prospects. I don't know that going back to Kingston would really do him all that much good. He'd go back and he'd either do what he did last year where he's just going to focus on being two-way and focus on defense and, you know, whatever, or he'd just go, whatever, I'm, I'm you know, pissed off because they everybody passed on me in the draft because they felt like I wasn't there offensively. I'm just going to drop 150 points on this league and, and that'll be that. I don't think either of those two things really help him become a better NHL player or make him more ready to contribute next season. So I don't know that there's a lot of positives to sending him back either. But yes, it's clear that, you know, he is an 18 year old. He's an 18 year old that they're committed to having at center, which, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to flex him to the wing. A lot of times you'll see guys flex to the wing for their 18 year old season just to get used to the NHL. It's pace of play, how physical it is, just how rigorous the schedule is. It's clear that they don't want to do that. They've made that determination. And I, and I again, agree with that. But it leaves him stuck in this no man's land of he doesn't quite feel good enough to crack the lineup, at least certainly not on certain nights or against certain teams or when the game plan is X, Y, Z. But at the same time, you don't feel like you're really doing him a service and doing the franchise a service by sending him back to junior either. And so, you know, as long as the plan doesn't involve him being scratched for like half the year, which I really doubt it is. I think this is just an early season thing and it was very game by game decision here at the beginning. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with 
letting the plan just be, look, we're going to, we're going to spot start him to start. We're going to let him get used to everything. Let him get acclimated. Let him work in practice every day against our NHL guys. And, and then over the course of the year, once we're like 20 games into the season, he'll be an everyday starter. I'm, I'm okay with that plan. And I think that's probably what the plan is based on everything we've heard from them. But yes, it was a big deal, I think, for me and for a lot of people to hear that this is an organizational plan, not just Hackstall like doing this. And maybe him and Ron Francis aren't on the same page where Ron Francis wants Shane right up here and Hackstall's, you know, coaching for his job. So he doesn't want the 18 year old liability in the lineup. It's very clear that that is not the case. That was made clear yesterday. I'm very, very happy about that. And I do think that Shane Wright's going to look better moving forward. And I think that that could very easily start tonight against Carolina, a team that we highlighted doesn't quite have the same depth, especially down the middle anymore that they've had in years past. I think this is a good chance for him to come in. Um, I, I, you know, we don't know what goaltender is going to start either, but how about this, RJ? Maybe Shane Wright is just tied to Philip Grubauer. Mm. We've only only seen him in the game Grubauer started. Maybe there's something there. Maybe. I I cannot, for life me, figure out what it would be, but maybe there is something there. Um, Yeah, but, you know, seriously, I I think it's it's not time to ring alarm bells on on the Shane Wright situation yet. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said about being okay with kind of easing him in. And and by you know maybe the twenty game mark kind of getting him as to more of a regular spot. Um, yeah, as far as sending him back to junior, I, in Kingston, and I, I kind of trust your word on this because I, I didn't really think about this until I talked with you about it. Um, that that maybe that's not the best situation for him, and I, I think you even floated the idea of maybe they're trying to kind of engineer a trade in the OHL trade behind the scenes and get him on a team with a little more star power in a better situation for him. I, you know, I haven't heard anything that would suggest that that's the case, but it's the kind of thing that after the fact would make a lot of sense and, and be a very hockey thing to have happened. Yes. Um, you know, that if you know what I mean, um, but uh, yeah, and, and maybe something like that could still be in the cards potentially. Um, but it, it was great to hear that there is a plan from Dave Haxtell, because I, I know there was a lot of, you know, kind of freaking out, not just here, but in the hockey world. Um, you know, we saw a lot of reaction from um, fans in other fan bases too. I, Montreal and Philly are the two that I'm really mm-hmm. thinking of. Uh, Flyers fans like, oh, look, Haxtell's doing this again. You know, I remembering times where maybe there were some younger players that he didn't play in Philadelphia uh, that still have has stuck with some Flyers fans. Uh, and, and then Montreal, which actually this was a nice little kind of change of pace instead of the, ah, oh, look, see how much Shane Wright sucks. Ha ha. You know, we were actually kind of getting like, oh no, this Haxtell's like Dom Ducharme and he's ruining this young kid's career, uh, which, is, you know, it's an improvement from, I guess, the, the kind of comments we were getting, yeah. you know, over training camp and the preseason. But still, um, you know, there, there was a lot of that kind of talk. But I, I think, uh, you know, Haxtell's answer at, at least, you know, implies that there there is a plan there with, with, you know, the organization with Ron Francis. So we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. And yeah, we're recording this right before morning skate uh, of that Carolina game. So we don't know who's in, who's out, what the line rushes are. Um, but uh, you have to imagine that would be one of these kind of positive starts for him, a good spot to put him in. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit more questioning to to go on if if he doesn't end up playing tonight um or cuz you think at some point i i think if not tonight then when the next game is right. against the st louis blues they're they're another physical team you know i could see you wanting to protect him from uh and i know the schedule lightens up a little bit after that but at a certain point you you just have to get him into at least one game you'd think right and ideally you'd like to maybe not do like a every other kind of game either like at some point he's going to need to find a rhythm you know what I mean it's that's going to be big I do think though you know the bottom line is even even in a game against the Blues let's say you know they play him tonight and and things look okay you know I'm not even saying like he goes out and he like scores a goal or anything even a game against the Blues yes they're a physical team and stuff but if he's going to be bottom six paired against bottom six I don't know that the Blues right now bottom six is kind of the Blues bottom six of old 
You know what mm. I mean? Like it's it you know, it's not like he's gonna have to go up against Ryan O'Reilly. Just like tonight, he's probably not gonna be if he plays, gonna be matched up against Jordan Stahl and just left to be like eaten alive by this experienced guy who's just gonna manhandle him <laughs> up and down the ice, right? Like this this is that is something that does need to be remembered too, is we're talking about him being on the you know, potentially just the fourth line for now. He's only going to be seeing, what, eight, eight minutes, eight, ten minutes a night, best case scenario in those situations. And it's going to be against basic, literally the worst people the other team has. So that that is something also to remember as as far as, you know, I, I guess I would also remind Hackstall and the, and the, the Kraken, like, go ahead and get him in games. Let him play against the worst that these other teams have to offer, because especially at home, you control that last change. You're controlling exactly who he's going out there against. So I guess I would just kind of float that out and let the universe listen to that for a moment, if possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yes, I think I think getting him back in is a good idea. We can kind of talk, we can kind of like transition from this into the, sh- the potential shuffling of lines based on what we saw yesterday. And obviously after that Vegas game, it would make a lot of sense to maybe... Uh, uh, put things in a blender a little bit, but it looked like Shane Wright playing between McCann and Gord, which, you know, again, makes sense. Stick him with some more experienced guys there, both guys that can flex into center if you need them to, you know, I don't know, take a face off for him or um, just, you know, cover a defensive assignment maybe even. Right, and that line uh, very interesting to me because you have basically three guys who who can all play center uh, on that line, and I think it is worth mentioning too. These line combos get very different than what we've what we'd seen previously. Um, Brandon Tanev and Jaden Schwartz were both out practice yesterday. Maintenance days for both. You have to assume they'll both be back in the lineup tonight. They, yeah. they should be. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to look at this lineup and see, okay, where where do they go? Kind of where are the placeholders? Uh, you know, Wenberg, Bjorkstrand, and I believe Schwartz was with them. So Carson Kuhlman, I, I think he's kind of the placeholder there. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at it, I I could see that McCann, Wright, Gore line staying together and then maybe like a Tanev going onto a fourth line with maybe Geeky or Sprong, Donato, something like that. Um, I think it's a good spot for Shane Wright, and it's similar to what they did pretty much all of training camp in the preseason. That's one thing that was really confusing with me on the Shane Wright front uh, is that we didn't see him on the fourth line or in a position to be a scratch all preseason, all training camp. They were consistently putting him in that 3C role and putting him with players like Jaden Schwartz, with Jordan Eberle, you know, Jared McCann. We were seeing him always with NHL regulars, with very good players, kind of putting him in that higher position to succeed and surrounding him with talent. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you get to the line rushes right ahead of the of the first game, and he's on the fourth line. And then that's where he plays. He plays six minutes and then he's a scratch for the next two games. So it's not what we saw at all during training camp or preseason, which is another reason it kind of threw me off. I think threw a lot of people off. Uh, But now, at least according to these line rushes, we'll see what we get later this morning. uh, He is back in that spot that I really liked for him Mm -hmm. all through training camp in the preseason. Yeah, it. It almost makes you wonder if the plan was really, hey, we're going to hold him out for maybe five or six games, and then we'll start getting him into action. But they decided, you know what, let's go ahead and start him opening night just so that there isn't like a media firestorm about it or whatever. And it's a really, you know, it's a Ducks team that's not very good. We'll just limit his minutes, get him in there for that game. Then we'll then we'll have him out for a couple games. Or was the plan all along to maybe start him in that Vegas game, but because of how well that plan worked against the Kings and how well the team played against the Kings, you know, everybody just decided, hey, you know what, let's try to run that back with that lineup, with that goaltender, with that game plan, and let's see if we can maybe steal one here at home for the home opener against a good Vegas team. And they kind of made that change on the fly, and that's why Shane Wright then wasn't involved in that game. It would be very interesting to know which of those two kind of things it is, because I could I could easily see both of them being the case. But you're right, it, did, it didn't make sense. The situation he was in for that Ducks game didn't make sense at all based on what they were doing and really what traditionally has been proven best for young players either. Uh, you know, neither of those things made sense with what, what we saw. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm really hopeful that today uh, against Carolina, we'll see him in a, in a 3C role 
with some veterans around him. Uh, I just think that's going to be what's best for him. And then you're just going to have to kind of set him and forget him there. Let him develop, let him get game reps in and kind of reevaluate after, you know, four or five games what's going on. I think his line mate should be kind of untouchable, you know, like maybe shift things mm-hmm. in this game if, if it just really looks bad. But otherwise, I think that line should kind of remain untouched while you just get him used to everything. At least that's what I would do which guarantees it won't happen. (laughs) Yeah, we we know how that goes, don't we? Yeah. Uh, The other thing that's that's interesting about the lines and everything is I really feel like Bjorkstrand's doing a fantastic job five-on-five at generating offense for himself. But I haven't felt like he's really connected with Wenberg and, and really whoever then is also on that line. Um, That's one that I was kind of, surprised to see yesterday at practice those two guys were still together because I just feel like they're not on the same page really at all it's looked like that during the regular season I they had some good chemistry kind of in that in that final tune-up preseason game and and um you know toward toward the end of the preseason it looked like that chemistry was there I, I haven't really seen it so much you know in the regular season I think in in game one they looked pretty good in Anaheim but I mean who didn't for for that long stretch who didn't like right. they, every line was generating a ton of chances, and I think it's just because the entire team was rolling. Uh, it is something I think they need to start thinking about because Oliver Bjorkstrand, he's so versatile. You can put mm-hmm. him anywhere. He can be a part of any line just seamlessly and add to it. Uh, but I do think that Wenberg-Bjorkstrand pair is one that Haxtell does seem kind of attached to. Uh, that's one of the two you know, kind of pairs of guys that we've seen, you know, just tied to each other. And then the other one being Matty Beniers and Andre Burakovsky. Um, but it's tough because when you're playing Burakovsky at that right wing spot and he's attached to Beniers, mm-hmm. Bjorkstrand attached to Wenberg, you know, where else do you go with that? If, especially if, if Yanni Gord is playing wing, I mean, you could put him with Shane, Wright, And I, I think that might actually be a good idea, <laughs> yeah. but, um, it kind of limits the spaces that he can go in this lineup when everyone's healthy. Yeah, it's true. I just, I don't know. I look at Matty Beniers and his style of play, and I look at Bjorkstrand and his style of play, and these are both guys that like to make decisions and make their placement on the ice, all that off the cuff, as they're just reading and reacting to the defenses, and they're just going with what their their gut feel is for how the game is going. And I just can't help but think the two of them together would just be incredible there'd be nights where they're just like kind of both off and maybe one's not reading right that would happen for sure but when it would click I mean that would be a duo that could put up a hundred points together just because they're just that kind of way you know what I mean I don't know Hmm. let me let me ask you this then so you 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 think that's better than going you know Burakovsky Beniers and and then like and then where would you put Burakovsky? Because that's, again, what I can't figure out. Now, he's he's been better now that the regular season has yes. started. I, I talked about him having kind of a slow training camp. He has, has absolutely sped up. I mean, what would you do with Andre Burakovsky then? I would I would stick him with Wenberg. Because right now, what one of the things that, that's been impressive to me with Burakovsky so far this season is his willingness to shoot. And so who hmm. better to pair him with than a okay. guy who refuses to shoot in Alexander Wenberg, right? Wenberg will just feed him the puck. Um, he might feed it to his skates, but he'll, he'll feed Burakovsky the puck and Burakovsky can get some shots off on the right side. I feel like Burakovsky likes to distribute from the left and shoot from the right. That's kind of the sense I'm getting as we're watching him in different situations on the power play five on five uh, as we went through the preseason and stuff. That's the feel I'm getting. I'd be really curious to ask like people who covered him in Colorado or something, if that's, if that's the case. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I've been noticing. So if he's going to be sticking on the right side, I'd rather pair him with a Wenberg. Wenberg tends to, you know, drift to the left pretty much all the time anyway, when he's five on five, he likes to be on that left side of the net. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I would do. And I would see if that works because right now having somebody like Bjorkstrand who, you know, if if he's feeling that he needs to be a playmaker in a certain situation or he's going to make a move that's going to draw in defenders and then he's making a pass over to Wenberg only for Wenberg to then make another pass, you're kind of wasting that effort from Bjorkstrand there. And I so I, I just, I don't know, I just don't like that pairing. I, I just want to see anything but that. That's, <laughs> I don't care what, what change happens. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Burakovsky was on Wenberg's wing in the preseason. Didn't work well, but it was on his left wing. So right. I maybe it would work better on the right. Yeah, if he's going to shoot from the right, then stick him on the right with Wenberg. Let them feed each other. Um, otherwise, everybody's playing basically like we thought they would, right? Like uh, certainly all the returning members of the squad, everybody's kind of just doing their thing. Um, Everly looks like Everly, McCann looks like McCann, Donato looks like Donato. You know, you could really just go through the lineup. I think Yanni Gord's starting to heat up a little bit. Uh, he's had a really rough start to the season so far. I haven't totally liked what he's been doing, especially five on five. I just feel like there's just nothing there. Like I didn't, you didn't notice him at all in the Ducks game. It's like he didn't exist, which is great if he's out there trying to shut down some other team's <laughs> top line. If it's he's trying to take advantage of the terrible depth the Ducks have, probably wish you know we noticed him a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would like to see more from Yanni Gord, and I think um, we we talked about this a little bit, you know, on, on post game the other day on that line with with Brandon Tanev and then Jordan Eberle, which doesn't it's make a, a ton line. of sense to me uh it, it is a weird line and and because i i know that yanni gord prefers playing with kind of straight line mm-hmm. you know pre- as he calls it predictable players yeah um that, that you know are just going to be north south and, and play that speed game uh guys like a brandon tanev or a carson coolman mm-hmm. uh, but yeah everly just didn't seem like a fit on that line uh and i think he was just kind of thrown there because he was the guy left over from you know the other pairings that, that that Haxtell wanted um so yeah I, I could see maybe some changes there that might benefit Yanni Gord I mean we'll, we'll see how he's you know how he is on the right wing with Shane Wright um that's that's a different kind of spot for him uh but yeah and, and if that's where he stays we'll see um but yeah I think he just needs to settle in with some line mates that that work with how he plays and I think he's kind of being used as this utility piece to help out in different areas where they need it um which that's you know that, that's an important role obviously to kind of solidify things but it makes it tougher to get your own game going yeah ex- exactly so that's it, a lot remains to be seen like you said obviously you know Schwartz we all know the injury history there I'm no I have no problem with him having maintenance days Tanev coming off his injury no problem with him having maintenance days so we'll see what the lines look like uh in a little bit once you once you head off to morning skate there um kind of just to loop back around during the Shane Wright discussion and and through this we talked about the idea of or I floated the idea of maybe what happened was after that Kings game that lineup and that game plan worked so they tried to recreate it against Vegas and that brings up something else that was really talked about both before and after the Vegas game for different reasons beforehand about <laughs> Shane Wright afterwards about the idea of, of starting Martin Jones, but is is Hackstall kind of coaching? Some people were using the word desperate. I don't know that I'd use desperate, but is he coaching with his job security in mind? Maybe, you know what I mean? And he was trying to string together some wins to start the season and, you know, Hey, this thing worked last time. Let's try to run it back. Even though this game plan doesn't work against this team at all. And his post game comments kind of hinted that he would have known that. So um, I don't know <laughs> that that's the case. I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on it. And then I can kind of give what I think really is happening. Okay, well, it's a bold move, certainly, and it's something that we recognized during morning skate when we saw what the lineup was going to be. Uh, Yeah, it's a bold move and something that I think is uncharacteristic from him, Mm -hmm. something that we would not have seen last season. Even when things were going as bad as they were going, um, he was kind of he stuck with his guys. He was resistant to make any of those big changes where, you know, you wouldn't think a coach would, uh, you know, start or would sit, you know, a Philip Grubauer, your clear starter in the home opener. Um, So it was just something different from him. And it's hard for me to blame a coach that, you know, was just coming off as good of a game as they had against the Kings and and wanted to just say hey let's let's not change a thing we mm-hmm. played so well let's stick with it let's run it back uh, you know it, it's easy in hindsight to look back at that and be like oh you know how how did you not get the you know their game plan and everything and and martin jones against vegas oh my god you know the energy mm-hmm. like just the vibes alone mean you're going to let in a couple goals in the first few minutes that's just how it works um but <laughs> Again, I, I can't point to anything concrete there, but it, it always seems to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, it's hard for me to fault him there. 
And because I think also, excuse me, I think with that lineup, it was still a winnable game. I don't think that was a, or with Martin Jones in net, I don't think that was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. um, it's just tactically adjusting the way that Vegas is, you know, that Vegas is going to play. I think you can, with that lineup, uh, match up well against it. Um, I, I don't think that's what it is. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think... I mean, the question is, is he coaching desperate? Is he coaching differently because right. he feels like his job security might be on the line? Um, he's, he's coaching differently. I, I can't, I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he's coaching differently because things went so poorly last season. You're like, well, given those results, maybe I should coach differently. Right. You know, maybe I should try something else. Maybe I should ride the hot hand in net. Um, so I, I'm interested to hear what you think is going on because I don't really have an answer for this. I just think that, yeah, he, he was coaching differently there. Uh, and, you know, clearly it didn't work out, but but you can kind of, I don't know, you, you can yeah. you can justify it, I guess. Um, yeah. I, go ahead. I, what, what do you think <laughs> is going on? Yeah, so I I think that's the most likely outcome. I'll 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 float too, but I'm I'm saying right now I very much think that the most likely outcome was just, hey, we got three out of four playing back to back games against divisional opponents. We looked really really good against that Kings team. They weren't ever really able to to do what they wanted to do, and so everybody just felt like, hey, you know what? Let's just kind of try that again. Let's see if we could do that. Let's see if if that ideal works against this Vegas team. And, you know, even though we know that there might be some issues, you know, everybody felt confident that if they executed, it would be okay. Obviously they didn't execute well. That was clear 12 seconds into the game. Um, but at that <laughs> point, it's a little late to then try to shake things up, right? It's, it's really, did you burn your time out 12 seconds in to be like, guys, <laughs> let me let me in 30 <laughs> seconds draw something up on the board and we'll we'll try to you know change everything uh that we were preparing to do all day long um i think that's the most likely outcome was just everybody was feeling good they just wanted to keep some positive momentum and start the season strong after what it was last year because there's a million reasons to do that and that's also the transition into where i'll provide my second option and this is definitely the more youtubery clickbait let's build a fun thumbnail around this idea and that's say let me get working on the thumbnail <laughs> i was gonna say and that's that maybe the organization and i don't mean ron francis when i say the organization i mean the business side of the organization was maybe pushing more so for that idea of let's start the season off strong hey that really worked against the kings we're, we're looking good let's go ahead and try to try to do stuff like that again i don't think that's what happened but you could also maybe you know i could also see a world where they come back to seattle and walking into the the offices and everything People are people in certain powerful positions are making, you know, joking suggestions about, hey, Jones looked really good in that game. You know what I mean? Like, maybe we should start him for the home opener, right? Like, you know how top executive people are. They like to do that in a way where it's like, hey, I'm kind of telling you maybe what to do with your job, but I'm not really totally telling you what to do with your job. But we both know that who's actually in power here. You know what I mean? And I and I very much believe that, you know, executives in every single organization and every single business talk, uh, communicate that way just because that's in the manual, I guess. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there was some elements of that of coming back to Seattle, everybody being like, hey, wow, you know, the, the non-hockey people or, the, or, or whatever. And they were just like, wow, we look like a playoff team. We're scoring power play goals. All the new additions worked like we should just totally run it back. Like if you, if you were to leave business people in charge, that's exactly what would have the, the, what we saw is exactly mm. the outcome that, you know, would have happened in that scenario. And so that's why I'm even saying it is because it felt very, you know what I mean? Like it felt like that it's the outcome you'd expect from non-hockey people making the decision. So I'm floating it out there just cause. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, might as well. I mean, like, of course, reporter journalist me is just like, hang on, like, disclaimer, I've seen nothing that would suggest yes, that this exactly. is the case. I know. Um, 
but you know we we don't see what's going on you know behind the scenes and i, I mean there's probably some element of that in any kind of business but yeah. yeah i i i think at the end of the day certainly this early in the season it's it's Hackstall's call and that's the most likely outcome yeah it's just outside of him just not you know thinking that they could run back that strategy i just see no other reason for jones that's the key thing. It's one thing if you leave Shane Wright out of the lineup, but you're at least going back to Grubauer. The fact that they start Martin Jones for the home opener after an entire offseason of really so much focus being on bringing in a new goaltending coach. Let's get Philip Grubauer right. He is our starter. All of that stuff. To, to move away from that only two games in is unusual, to say the least, in hockey. And so out the only two things I can think of is either it wasn't hockey people making that decision or more likely it was just they played so well against the Kings. They maybe got a little ahead of themselves, a little full of themselves and thought they could do that against a Vegas team that kind of knows how to exploit it. And I, I think for that one, you can also maybe point to desperation. If you're, if you're thinking if this is a coach who is worried about job security and the reason one of not the reason, one of the big reasons that you're in a position where you're worried about job security. And we've seen this not just on this team, but on countless teams over countless years was goaltending. And yes. and, and we kind of know which which goaltender well, it was both. But we know which goaltender it was more of. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something that maybe over an off season starts to seep into your mind just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, when the call is yours and the, and the job potentially on the line might be yours, maybe that gets into your decision-making a little bit. Yeah, and that, that goes into larger things. I would have thought that over the off-season, the conversations, it, it seemed clear to me during like exit interview time last year, Hextall's the guy. And he's, you know, outside of like just true disaster to start this season, he's going to be the guy through this season. I think after that, right. it's worth looking at things. Uh, and that they would reevaluate, but I very much got the sense that look, we're not, we're not going to be like, oh, if we're not in playoff position by December, we're going to try to make a move to try to make that happen. That just wasn't the sense that I got from anything Ron Francis was saying. So I'm assuming that those conversations were had. Assuming that that is how the organization feels, then I would assume, and these are a lot of assumptions. I understand that everybody that Hextall understands mm -hmm. that and knows that, you know. Being one, one, and one to start a season with this club is not enough to start coaching desperate and trying to salvage your job and coach day to day like that. It just feels way too early for it, especially given the fact that after those first two games, they took three out of four points, which I can't. The Vegas game was so bad that we've completely lost sight of that fact. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> we got to remember back to like the post game after the Kings game and how great everyone was feeling. And I should mention, we got at least 20, you know, chat thing messages in chat saying, make Martin Jones the starter, start yes. Martin Jones next game. You know, it, it's it's, um, you know, it's definitely something that a lot of people were thinking. It didn't just kind of come out of thin air. Um, yeah, there, there was just that optimism, too. Uh, by the way, I just got uh, news that today's morning skate uh, will be optional. It's an optional skate. So we probably won't learn the lines until much closer to game time, everyone. Just a little heads up if you're listening to this uh, midday here. Um, but yeah, so I, I think uh, that'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we might not have that Shane Wright call until until warm-ups, really, yeah. uh, that we see it. So um, yeah, stay tuned on that one. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I just, yeah, I don't know. I, when it comes to the goaltending decision, I just, if you're, you're, you, you like it or not, Grubauer is going to be a cracking goaltender for a while. So it seems like it's in the best case of everyone involved if really try to make him work as the starter. And so mm. that's why I just, I, I don't like the whole, like, Hey, we should be going with Jones because he played one good game kind of thing. Like I certainly don't think that, and you know, and then there's, it's easy to defend Jones after the Vegas game too, because he was just hung out to dry completely. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just think it's imperative that if this team is ever going to go anywhere, playoff wise, have any sort of success, Philip Grubauer is going to have to be a part of it. And that means getting him right, getting him reps, getting him comfortable, building back his confidence. And I just don't know that tra transitioning or making this more of an even split and doing all of that stuff is the best way to do that so early in a season.
Right. I, I'm, I agree with you. I, I just think that one way or another, like you said, he's, he's going to be the starting goalie. This yeah. team is going to go as Philip Grubauer goes for better or for worse, given that contract. You have to get him right. And it, things were going so well mm -hmm. in the preseason and everything, too. He had a fantastic preseason. Yeah. I don't know if you want to just kind of give up on that after one game. It's it's right. it's puzzling to me. Right. And that's why I was so confused as to why I'm not starting at home for the home opener. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I got to assume he's going to start tonight. Like, I would just... He has to. Has to. He has to. I would be shocked if he did not. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll see there. And, and that's just going to be like a developing thing. I think both the Hackstall thing and the, the goaltending and, and really Shane Wright, they're, they're just, they're developing stories. Uh, hey, you know, stick with us for all the latest news and updates. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and of course, let us know what you think about this stuff. Yes. Cause I'm really interested for, for feedback from everyone, you know, and put them in the comments, you know, like, what do you think of the handling of Shane Wright? Because I think there's there's room for a lot of good debate there, a yep. lot of different opinions uh, to be had. You know, we have our takes, but I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of other, you know, legitimate, yeah. uh, you know, opinions there. And then and then same thing with the goaltending. Goaltending is weird. It's it's crazy. It's unpredictable. I mean, what do you think they should do? Because uh, there's there's no just one right answer. I was gonna say after looking after my fantasy team's first performance this week, I don't think I'm in any way qualified to be talking about goaltending. <laughs> good point i mean who who is really who yeah, is exactly um all right so i want to finish off this podcast rj talking about the firebirds got their first ever game in congratulations to them picked up a w in their first ever game that's also always fun even if there was a little bit of nail biting there at the end <laughs> yeah how about that Hey everybody, let me let you know. Let us know. Does this sound like a, a a team within the Kraken organization, a team that would win six five after having you know building up a a pretty solid lead at one point? <laughs> no, I, I I was checking in on the score updates and I was like, I saw the six to five goal. I'm like, wait a second, wasn't this wasn't it like five zero five? What it was happened? Five one at some point. Yes, five in the one second and I halfway just... through the game is five one. And of course, as I saw that, I just assumed, oh, it's 6-5 Calgary because, of course. Um, but <laughs> they they got it done. Um, you know what I think the difference was? Cole and why Lins. they hung on? Huh? Cole Lins? Goalie kisses? See, that's that's the answer that makes sense on paper. But oh, no, okay. it's that they... Why, why they got it done and the Kraken were not able to get it done in their first game. The, the Kraken played in a close one. They lost by one goal. And, no, yeah. and, and I mean, yeah, the Stevenson kick. It's that they had a mascot going into opening night. That's it's true. that little bit extra that just willed them to hang on. Fuego. fuego. It was all Fuego. I'd buy that all day long. Um, but yes, they, they get the W for their first ever game. I mentioned Cole Lynn. He had four points, two goals, two assists. Fantastic start to the season for Cole Lind. Um I guess one of the things that I, you know, I was, I was looking at the, at the box score before we recorded RJ, just kind of refreshing mm -hmm. on things. And I, I looked at the penalties and we were talking about that. John Hayden, somebody we talked about when it was coming down to final cuts, um, picked up eight minutes of penalties. He took two penalties that then he also then ended up taking roughing penalties with offsetting from the other side. So I'm very curious as to what that all <laughs> looked like with everybody that happened a couple times elsewhere. Um, but, uh, just, you know, want to mention Riker Evans, one game, one point, let's go. Good start for him. And I mean, this is the plan, right? Send him down to the AHL, have him get some good games in there, some good reps in, uh, and eventually work his way to being ready to be called up to the NHL at some point. So I think a good start for a lot of those guys, Cole Lind, a great start for him and someone that we could easily see as a call up. Uh, you know, when the Kraken needs somebody, because as we know with injuries, it, it's when, not if. Um, so I think it's good knowing that he's there and, and thriving in the AHL. Four points on his birthday, by the way. Happy 24th birthday to Cole Lind yesterday. I mean, he, when it's your birthday, you're just feeling it. You're feeling that energy. We know he's a good player. I think he could do it on other days. But when it's your birthday, it's just it's something extra special. Exactly. And um, Cole Lind's plus four obviously the four points a plus four in a game like this where your team gives up five is impressive and that was the other thing i wanted to mention with Riker evans plus four as a defenseman in a game where your team's given up five that's 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 good that's good yeah. um 
Yeah, I don't have time on ice though. That's the one thing I wish was on this AHL website was that you know I could see oh, I don't how, have ice time. how everybody played and and you know because I'm curious like what kind of minutes Riker Evans was getting and stuff. I, I think that would be an interesting thing to know. So I'm gonna have to look at ways of doing that because as I'm on this AHL website, RJ, I was telling you before we started recording, hmm. website feels a little dated. I'm gonna say that. Yeah, I'd say so. I went and checked it out after you mentioned it. Uh, yeah, it's it maybe may stuck in the past just a little bit. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to try and get some of those stats. I mean, they do keep official stats and everything from the AHL, yeah. right? They've got the off-ice officials that keep all those. All right, for the home game, for the games that will be happening up here, I will like run over to the off-ice officials table and make sure I get you that ice time stat. I'll have them print me out a stat sheet. I, they're all very nice. I know they'll do that for me. Uh, so I'll make sure to do that for the games here. Awesome. Sounds good. Really excited for those games there. I think that's going to be just so much fun uh, once yes. once we get that going. Yeah, what's interesting is they literally give you the start time and the end time of the game. It started at 1.06 p.m., ended at 3.42 p.m. for a two-hour and 36-minute game. Can't give me that, but I can't see how many minutes Riker Evans played. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just get the get the actual timestamps. Like from one thirty five p.m. to one thirty six p.m., he was on the ice. <laughs> yes, and and by the way, this is an inside reference, but yes, mom, I looked like a mom would look. I went to his actual player profile page, which does have more stats, but it still doesn't have time on ice. So, <laughs> big thing. Big <laughs> That's thing a good Growing one. up, did you did you look like a mom would look when you're like, I can't find something, and and looking like a mom would look. By the way, everybody. It's like moving things, uh, actually like looking. It's not just like glancing around the room from a fixed position. It's like actually, you know, searching for something. That was. Oh man, I could have used that one like. growing up. <laughs> I know that's that's what it was like growing up here. Was, you you didn't ask mom for help finding something until you looked like she would look. Um, all right, I, I, that's a good way of, of ending this. A little nice, another little nice little a nice little life lesson to end the pod geez just got to get to this outro man uh awesome like i said it was a it was a pod of first talking about all the first so excited the season's back so excited the kraken you know they looked good through two games anyway we can say that and uh it's a good start from them thanks again to queen Anne beer hall for sponsoring the podcast and, and sponsoring everything uh you know, really helping make every ECH go this year. It's really, really awesome. Uh, thanks to Jen for all the photos from that home opener that we got spread out throughout this podcast. And we're going to see you all next time.